Well, good morning. I want you to know it's a real thrill and uh, a blessing to be here with you today, and I hope each of you enjoyed a great uh, Christmas season and time with your family, and uh, what a privilege it is to be here on the last day of 2023. We love your church. We pray for you regularly. We love your pastor, and we pray for the, him and his family daily. Uh, in fact, uh, your pastor is my favorite pastor, not in just the United States, but in the entire world. And I say that with zero bias or personal favoritism. And, uh, of course, we love Andrea and the children, too. We're so excited about all that God is doing here at First Baptist. Uh, and we follow closely as we can from East Tennessee. And Matt asked me to preach this morning. I said, is there a subject or a theme that you'd like me to address? He said, well, it's New Year's Eve. It's going to be New Year's Eve. How about new beginnings? And I like that. And I decided on new beginnings in prayer. Um, I am one of the people, I'm one of those people that take resolutions seriously. And uh, New Year's resolutions, I do it every year, spend a great deal of time really in mostly the last half of the month of December thinking about those things and have a series of reoccurring goals. And of course, losing weight, working out, those are always in there. Um, but there are more serious ones about Christian life and walk with God. And you know what? Uh, those like losing weight and working out are not the only ones that are always in there. Prayer is always in there. And uh, part of that reason is, is I'm not very satisfied with my prayer life. And so when I speak to you today, I've been studying this. I've put together some materials, hopefully in an understandable way, as we open God's Word that will encourage you. But I, I, I don't want you to think at all that I'm an expert in this. And uh, I am like many of you, maybe even most of you, uh, yearning to know God more and to communicate with Him more. And we're going to open God's Word to Luke uh, chapter 11 and um, see what the Lord Jesus Christ says to that to us about that very thing beginning in verse 1 the Bible says now Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished one of his uh, disciples said to him Lord teach us to pray as John taught his disciples, and he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be, thy na be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And 
he will answer from within and say, don't bother me. Do not bother me. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it reveals You to us. Lord, I pray that You would open our hearts and our minds that we might receive wonderful things from Your Word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus' disciples were dissatisfied with their prayer life, like many of us are. You know, I, I saw where Crossway, a Christian publishing company, did a survey just a few years ago that said that 2%, only, you know, that 2%, only 2% were very satisfied with their prayer life. Now, I thought about that, very satisfied. That, that phrase is kind of loaded because who's going to say, I'm really satisfied with my prayer, with my relationship with God. So, uh, but that same study revealed that more than 50% were, were, uh, had a very low uh, view of their uh, disappointment with their prayer life. Um, another study from Pew Research showed that Less than 50% of, of Americans pray every day. So um, there is reason that we can be learning about prayer. And the disciples were dissatisfied with their prayer life. They observed Jesus' life of prayer. And I want to say to you that as followers of Jesus, we can pray confidently that Jesus will give us what we need. We can, that, that is the message in a sentence. As followers of Jesus, we can pray confidently that Jesus will give us what we need. And we want to answer the, the, the question, how are we to pray? We want to a answer the question that they were really asking when they requested that he show them how to pray. And so the first habit, I think it, we see in this, Three habits, or we can use the word on this day, resolutions that we can practice that will help us know how to pray and have new beginnings in prayer. And the first resolution that we should uh, practice is we are to pray as a way of life. Our life should be marked by consistent and frequent prayer. Prayer ought to be really a distinguishing characteristic uh, in the life of a follower of Jesus. 
Now, what, what do I mean by prayer? It's important. I mean, after all, more than 80% of the people in the U.S. do pray. Muslims pray. Buddhists pray. People who, are, who don't even believe or are not religious pray. But I'm talking about personal communication with God, who is the creator of the universe and the father, the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. The God of the Bible is not only the only true God, he is, a, he is the personal God. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, you have come into a personal relationship with God, and any personal relationship is marked by good co communication. And so that's what we're, we're called to. I'm, I'm married to Sandy. She is the absolute love of my life. We've been married a long time. And we, we communicate regularly. We communicate uh, seriously. We communicate frequently. We communicate uh, sometimes argumentatively, sometimes lightheartedly. But we spend a great deal of time and effort on communication. And one thing that we've discovered, and you probably have too with marriage or in any close relationship, that when there is a cold shoulder or when there's something or there is a disregard or a, a, a lack of attention to communication, we, we can say that uh, the relationship is strained. Wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you, in, isn't that true? Don't you find that to be true? So I think that we can, can also say of our relationship with God our Father that if there's no communication going on, it can lead to a uh, <clears throat> frustrated spiritual relationship with God because of lack of communication. And um, the disciples experienced that. And two observations that we see uh, that we want to turn into principles is we should pray as Jesus prayed. Jesus' life was marked by prayer from start to finish in, in, from the record of Scripture. Um, he was truly devoted to prayer. His communication with this is God himself communicating with God himself. So if God needs to communicate with God, if God the Son needs to communicate with God the Father, how much more do we, the children of God, through the work of Jesus Christ, need to also communicate with God our Father? Jesus prayed at his baptism in Luke 3 before choosing his disciples in Luke 6. He often got away and prayed alone he prayed with others around him in chapter 9, all through the gospel. So that's, we see Jesus' life was marked by a, a life of prayer. And so something in Jesus' uh, example inspired this unnamed disciple to ask how uh, to teach them to pray. Why did Jesus pray as a way of life? Um, because even, you know, in his humanity, Jesus was obviously fully man, and he needed communion with God his Father. Why should we, praise, uh, should we pray as Jesus prayed? Because as he was totally dependent in his human flesh on God the Father, so are we as children of God totally dependent on God. And so, 
in a very real stint, the ex, the uh, in a very real sense, the extent of our prayer life is a measure of our dependence on God. Well, there's a second principle we observe in that in that uh, opening verse, and that is that we should learn the lesson the disciples learned. We the disciples eventually learned to pray as they had asked of Jesus teach us to pray he did he told them and he taught them but it didn't take immediately did it it didn't take uh, there were several false starts most notably on the night before his crucifixion in the garden of Gethsemane turn over to Luke chapter 22 and and let's read that account beginning in verse 39 uh, the Bible says, and he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Remember that phrase. Um, and he withdrew with them and went about a stone's throw and knelt and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood, falling down before the, uh, to the ground. And when he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus had told them and taught them. He sent them to pray on this very, uh, when the stakes were the highest, the night before he would die for the sins of the world. And they failed in that moment. They fell asleep. I don't know about you, but I, I go to sleep often <laughs> when I'm praying. And sometimes when I can't sleep, I'll get up. And that sounds really holy. I'll go pray, I think to myself. But really what probably is going on subconsciously I know if I get up and start praying I'll get sleepy but 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 what they did they failed at this point but something happened that changed these men something that happened that changed these disciples and the death burial and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and then we see how their lives were radically changed and then all through the the book of Acts they began to pray and their lives were marked by prayer. In Acts 1, they gathered and prayed 10 days before God sent the Holy Spirit. In Acts 4, they prayed for boldness uh, amid persecution. In Acts 6, they prayed before choosing leaders. In uh, all through Acts, in, in chapters 10, 11, 12, 16, 20, 21, 22, and, and even closing chapter, Acts 28, we find the disciples of Jesus, the apostles and the followers of Jesus. We find them praying and calling out to God in Jesus' name. The disciples were radically changed by the reality of the resurrection. And so um, it's been said that, that prayer is uh, not simply to maintain the Christian life, that prayer really is the Christian life. And so we are, first we are to pray as a way of life. The second resolution that we need to 
have a new beginning in prayer for 2024 is we are to pray with the right priorities. We need to pray giving priority to the right things, to giving uh, focus to those things. We have a, a pattern to follow in our praying uh, with, that, are, that has significant priorities. Jesus uh, gives them to us in the text. First, we, the first one we see is to pr pray for the reverence of God's name. Look at what, it, what he says right there. Hallowed be your name. Father, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed is something that we don't use very often. In fact, I've never used it outside the context of talking about God the Father. And that's really to be expected because his name is above every name. And, and so uh, a careful study of the Greek shows that it means to request that God's name would be known, that God's name would be revered, that God name, God's name would be renowned. But so often as we look around us today, even in, in our culture all around us, it's mocked, it's, 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 it's degraded. The name of God is not held in high esteem. And so when we're praying, we need to be reminded again and again not only the, uh, of the goodness and the greatness of God. Some of the, some of the ways that, and, and I, I encourage you to incorporate this if this is unfamiliar to you, is learn the, the names of God and the character of God and start calling that out back to him. Often I will begin with, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Or worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they are created. That's some of the things that the book of Revelation says we will pray throughout the ages. It's not too soon to start. And as we hallow his name, as we approach him, and, it, and it's good to call out to him even the names of God, uh, Jehovah, Creator God, as we think of Sovereign Lord, Creator of heaven and earth. The name, the, uh, as it speaks of the Son, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That may be seem awkward to you if you're not accustomed to doing that, but, but God, will, God will change our hearts towards Him. We will be refocused as we pray, as we we remind him of who he is. Do you think he needs us to remind him? No, but he is pleased. He is pleased when we hallow his name personally and when we hallow his name before men. A second priority that Jesus gives us to pray is pray for God's mission on earth to be accomplished. We are to pray that the, re the redemptive mission of God would be completed. Pray that his kingdom would come and, and, and it will come to completion here on earth. I don't know about you that the, the kingdom of God is a, a bit of a mysterious thing that sometimes con confuses me. But the, it, it's been described as the reign of King Jesus through eternity with his kingdom from Genesis to Revelation. It's the, it's the eternal mission of God's redeeming kingdom. He is building a kingdom for himself. Vance Pittman describes the kingdom of God. He says, 
is, is his sovereign activity in the world resulting in people being right in right relationship with him. It's God's redeeming work building his kingdom and the church has a major role in building his kingdom in this time in redemptive history. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and in all the earth. The kingdom of God is what God's doing globally and we need to be about it. As the people of God, we need to be praying for the kingdom of God to come. A third, a third priority that Jesus gives us for praying is, pray for God to meet our needs. Now, I don't struggle with this one. Do you? I, I spend a great deal of, of time praying about my needs, my family, my wants, and, and that is a good thing. He wants that. God wants that. Um, he wants to know what seems, if it's big to us, it's little to God, whatever it is. And he wants us to bring, to cast all of our cares upon him, to lay our burdens at his feet. And he wants to supply all that we need. Uh, so we, we need to pray for our daily bread. That literally means the, the, the food for today, the food for tomorrow. And so we are dependent, whether we realize it or not, on him providing what we need. Uh, Matthew said in 6, in chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, everything we need will be added to you. A fourth priority Jesus gives for praying is Pray for our relationship with God. We spoke a great deal about relationship in the introduction. Ask God to keep us in communion with him. We, uh, and that we're, we don't get sideways in our relationship with, with him. Look at verse 4 there uh, again. He says, and forgive us our sins, for we, forgive, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, I'm not talking about we get sideways in our position with God. That was taken care of by the cross. I, so our position with God is, is eternally secure. It's, it will not change. It's there forever. But as we used in the, in the marriage illustration, sometimes our communication gets sideways. And by the way, it's always us, never God. That's at fault in those things. And we need... To, so what are the things that mess up our communion, our, our relationship? One is that is, is sin in our lives. But the, the Bible says in 1 John 1, uh, verse 9, but it, it, it says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So our at, our, we were justified we were saved once and for all time from all of our sins past present and future but our relationship our communion can be marred by ongoing unconfessed sin that are active in our lives and we need to take those very seriously 
A second thing uh, is we also need to pray, we need to have strength to be obedient to forgive other people of their sins. You know, we're, we're to not only, we have peace with God, we also ha- are to have peace with other people. We're to love God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But oftentimes that's difficult, isn't it? Oftentimes that can be difficult in, 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 even in close uh, family and friend relationships. Uh, Nelson Mandela, a controversial figure, but uh, an anti, uh, anti-apartheid activist who served 27 years in a prison in South Africa and later rose to, uh, the, to, be, to, the, to be the head of the president of South Africa, he was known for demonstrating reconciliation with, with his enemies, with those the enemies of his past. And he once said this about unforgiveness. He said, resentment is like drinking poison and hoping it will kill your enemy. Seems ridiculous. But when we hold someone else's sins against them, we are, it's like, we're, we're not hurting them. We're hurting ourselves. And for our relationship to be right with God, we need to be at right with one another. There's a fifth priority, and Jesus gives us in praying, and that is pray for God to keep us from temptation. We see that there. At the, he says, and lead us not into temptation. We need to ask for God's help in temptation. You remember that? I pointed that out to you when I read that passage in the garden. That's the very thing on the night before his crucifixion that Jesus said, pray that you will not enter into temptation. He told him that twice. The literal uh, reading of the Greek is this, don't bring us into pressure. Now, that doesn't mean that God entices us to sin. We know that God never is the author of sin. James 1.3 makes it clear that God doesn't uh, tempt us to sin. But God does lead us into situations in which it is possible to sin. We've seen that in life of the, the biblical heroes throughout all of, of history. We saw that in the life of Joseph. We saw that in the life of Job. And we saw that in, in many others where there was an opportunity to sin. And we're to pray not to be led into those opportunities. God had a particular purpose and he used it for uh, his glory and their good in those situations. But let, let me illustrate this with you here just for a moment. Think about the pattern of temptation. It's offering, it, often it is a coupling of, of two things. First, a desire to sin, and second, an opportunity to sin. Sometimes we have a desire to sin, but God in his grace and protection keeps us from the sin. But there are other times when we, need, when we protect ourselves, there are, our, our, there are, they, they keep us from the opportunity to sin, but we need to remove ourselves from those opportunities. So we, when, when the opportunity and the desire to sin are both active at the same time, that's where we get into trouble. That's where we get off course. And that's where, um, that's where the problems start. 
And so we need to proactively pray that we would not be led into temptation. We need to pray that for one another. I pray that for myself. I pray that for my wife. I pray that for my children and grandchildren. I pray that for our, our church and friends. That's a, it's a, it is a preventative prayer that God answers and that, and that God loves. So we have, we've seen the request, we've seen the plan, but the third thing here is we see an, an encouragement. And so if we want uh, to, to know how to pray in 2024, we need to be, resolve ourselves. We can pray knowing that God will answer our prayers for our best. We can pray with the confidence that God responds to us with answers that are best for us. God answers our prayers according to his will. So after teaching his disciples how to pray, he gave them two uh, parables as an encouragement to keep on praying. Look in verses 5 through 8 first. Um, and he said... Which of you uh, has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Hospitality, big thing in the ancient Near East. And it was uh, a shame and a disgrace not to have food to put before them. And so the, the guy in the parable goes to his neighbor and, his, and asks for food. But the guy won't do it. He's already in bed. The family's down. I'm not going to do it. And his friend will not let up. And he keeps pounding on the door and crying out for bread from his friend. And then it says, the Bible says, because of his impudence, he will answer him. Now, that word impudence is a very vivid word. It's, it means lack of sensitivity to what's proper. Annoying relentlessness. And I have a couple of, of grandsons that are three and five that are, are, are perfect pictures of this. They have no concept of what's proper and when they burst into our presence at some times, and they have no shame. That's what God wants of you and I. He wants us to come to him raw, honest, and expectant. And, and so, uh, God does not resist our, our persistent prayers. He loves them. God is not uh, bothered by our constant prayers. He actually desires them. Because again, it reflects dependence on Him and love for Him. Look at, at verse 9 and 10 again. It says... Um, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Those three verbs that Jesus used there are in the imperative. That means that they are commands. God not only puts up with our continual praying, he wants us to. Uh, Paul told the church at Thessalonica, pray without ceasing. Jesus spoke a second parable that we read as well. Uh, uh, on it, as another additional encouragement on why we pray. Verses 11 through 13 there. 
He said, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give you? The greatest gift of all is the Holy Spirit. And so what we see here, number two or B, God is not reluctant to answer our prayers. He's eager to answer them perfectly. God does not pause before answering our prayers. He answers them in the way that is perfect for the situation. A third, uh, a third thing that should encourage us and that we need to do in, in recognizing this is we need to learn to love God's no. I don't like that, do you? I want what I ask for. If I didn't want it, I wouldn't have asked for it. But sometimes I'm asking for a scorpion. I don't think I'm asking for a scorpion. And I can tell God all the reasons why it's an egg. But God knows it's a scorpion and he says no. That's a good thing. We need to learn to love and embrace when God says no. The last thing that we see in this, or the last encouragement, it's probably not the last one, it's the last one I'll, I'll point out here, is I think we need to remember that sometimes a no now actually means wait. Sometimes a no in the present, we find out in the future, was actually a wait. Sometimes we are made to wait before, for what we ask for because God wants us to go through the time and circumstances that will take place before that moment in the future when he says yes. Also, sometimes we ask for something that we want now. It's within God's will. And he says no. And we find out later it's wait. And we, we can't know this fully, but sometimes we find out that God was making me wait to work on someone else he loves. And in the waiting, he's working on me while he's working in the moment with someone else. That's the, there is a mystery to, there is mystery to prayer. So, are you saying, David, when should I stop praying for something? When, do I, when does no mean no? I can't tell you categorically. I can just uh, say three, three, something like this. Maybe test your request. Something like this. Does my request violate God's will that is already laid out in Scripture? If it does, stop praying it. But most likely you weren't asking for that. You're just trying discernment about this or that. But if it doesn't, it's okay to keep praying about it. 
Uh, a, good, a good analysis, self-analysis would be, what's my motivation for what I'm asking for that God's saying no to? What's the motive underlying the request? Is there something amiss there? And either correct that or just realize that I don't need to ask for that. A third thing that is a helpful test for yourself is, do I sense freedom in the Holy Spirit? So if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. He doesn't, we don't understand his speaking infallibly, but he is our teacher, he is our guide, he is our comforter and so many other things. And if he is impressing upon us to keep praying, then we can keep praying. I'll just give you one quick example. And it'll be familiar to some of you. The Apostle Paul three times for whatever his thorn in the flesh was. And then God said to him, through whatever means, he said, stop praying for this. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so he stopped. And so... That is, we, 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 we see the, the request to pray, and we're told to pray. We see the plan that God has given us. We see these encouragements uh, to, to keep on praying. Luke 18.1 says, and this is my verse for 2024, is that we ought to always pray and not lose heart. We ought to always pray and not lose heart. And as we close this study, the closing thought, the closing truth that I want to leave us with, and I hope that you will take with you through New Year's Eve as we ring in the new year, is this. When God answers, when we pray, God answers with the very best for us. When we pray, God answers with the very best for us. Let's be praying in 2024. Pray with me. Father, we love you, those of us who are your children. And Father, we want, we want to know you more. Please, you have taught us to pray. Help us to have the discipline and the faithfulness to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.